become a part of the morning drive now. 888-414-0303. You're listening to News Talk WVMT. Welcome back to the morning drive, everybody. Kurt and Mark is here on this Thursday morning and joining us in studio now. It's Democratic mayoral candidate Joan Shannon. Good morning, Joan. Good morning, Kurt. And good morning, but Marcus. Hey, good morning. Good and I love you. the fact Joan knows how to uh, call it suck up to the host because <laughs> she brought in her dog, Monzi, again. And I love Monzi. I love dogs and sweet dogs like this. You can't resist. But I forgot to bring my dog treats in. However, Joan did bring bagels, so I'm feeding Monzi some bagel bites. <laughs> well, Kurt, Monzi's actually on duty. I don't know if you got our recent text, but Monzi has been promoted to chief of staff, and wow. she's sending out texts for the campaign. Oh, nice. Yeah, so so she she is part of the team. Well, she is, I think, no question. It's like my dog, Casey. She's the brains of the house. <laughs> oh, wait a minute. I didn't say, my, my wife didn't hear that, hopefully. so joan well that's a good choice monzi looks very intelligent and she's just sitting here staring at me waiting for another bite of bagel Uh, well i think you've been having a very interesting conversation on your uh rental uh inspection fee or your your rental registration which south burlington just recently passed essex junction is discussing but has not decided to move anything forward yet but it's a program that has happened in the city of Burlington for a number of years now. Yeah, uh, I think you can have some faith that you're not reinventing the wheel. Yeah. Um, I don't think anybody who's gone to rental registrations has has gone back from there. Uh, and as as somebody who I have, uh, I own a duplex and have always had Section Eight tenants, um, and it's actually worked the the section eight program does inspections anyway so the city doesn't have to inspect those properties because they have an agreement with the housing authority so the housing authority does the inspections i do still pay the fee um (laughs) but (laughs) in the big scheme of thing it's things it's really it's not that onerous and for the tenants i know that um uh you know just leaving it to a complaint driven system is uh, puts a tenant at a real disadvantage. Yeah. All right, Joan, let's go to uh, the race is coming up fast now. Five days left. Um, I want to ask you, first of all, a question about, and this has been asked in the debates, uh, and I know you've talked about it, but we have an example here now that's hit the news again that is just staggering to people. And I want to ask your opinion as a counselor and potential mayor in five days. Uh, what do we do about repeat offenders? Everybody supports first chances, second chances, third chances, a number of chances for people. But we have an individual here that was on CX News last night, and PTZ picked up on it also, um, who has had 1,600, let me repeat that, 1,600 incidents with police, arrests, incidents, some felonies, some violence, assaults. Um, uh, I was sent a, a Mark Redman from Spectrum sent me a letter Reminded me about the letter he sent to the full council six and a half years ago. And he and, uh, and one of our listeners sent me a story about it when he was in the news in 2017 when he only had about 890 violations. Now he's continuing on for about 700 more, 600, 700 more, whatever it is. 
What do we do about people like this that are this kind of repeat offender, Joan? Uh, well, I don't think that they should be uh, interacting with the community. That, you know, this is a person who's committed a lot of violent crimes. Um, and a few years ago, uh, much of that activity was in the South End. Um, so, I mean, I think you have to uh, you have to figure out why <laughs> this person is is doing these things. <clears throat> But in the meantime, the person should not be allowed to to be among the general public where they're physically causing people harm. But And whatever the why is, let's assume there's some kind of mental health issue. Uh, the story from 2017 was he had gone into the East West Cafe and, and said he was the owner of the place uh, and then punched the owner and knocked him over some tables and... Uh, Mark Redman again sent us all a letter saying our mental health system is, is failing us. And he said it's failing him, this person, um, but it's also failing the general public who has to keep dealing with this guy. To me, first and foremost, public safety first. I mean, this guy has needs, but he it looks like he keeps getting pulled in, treated, and right back out again. Yeah, I mean, I what I always say is we don't really have a mental health care system in Vermont. It feels more like a patchwork of services that are extraordinarily difficult to access. And that causes harm not only to the person who needs those services, but to the community at large. You know, we are all at risk. But there was, all, you know, there was a recent case um, where somebody punched a security officer in the face up at the hospital and they were arrested, arrested, taken down to BPD and BPD, uh, it was late, late at night. So they called the judge they, to try and hold them. And uh, the judge told them not to hold him. And he was released. He got no further than the parking lot uh, before he assaulted an off-duty police officer. I mean... This is, I think that there is a problem with the law in terms of um, the conditions under which you can hold somebody, but there's also, it, it seems to be a pervasive problem in the judicial system. There's a problem getting people processed. There was also uh, somebody who has, uh, I think the press release we got before that one was somebody who's stolen 13 cars since December. And was and, that the woman at Decker Towers? Yeah, yeah. And uh, and she only appears in, in court if she's escorted by the police to court. So she there's also a failure to appear. Like, why would you... You can, um, you can hold somebody for a, a risk, of, risk of flight. And those failures to appear. My understanding is they can. That's that's the only reason they can be held. But in that case, that exists. So, you know, why why are we not holding people? You know, I don't understand. But my my approach in Burlington is we do our job in Burlington, and uh, you know we need our legislature and our judicial system to do their job. So, and that brings me to the question that that I was developing while I was listening to you respond, which is, again, what specifically you as if you were to be elected mayor, what would you do? What can the city do 
to improve these circumstances. I've heard on the campaign, you know, obviously want to get more officers out on the street, um, but at the same time, acknowledging the fact that there seems to be a slowdown and an issue on the judicial side, which is not in the city's control or purview. You look at the mental health issue where we have a shortage of mental health professionals. How can the city help influence these other aspects that are also holding back your ability or would be your ability as mayor to improve the situation on the ground? We really have to work with our partners in the legislature, the governor, um, the state's attorney. Uh, we have to work with all of these partners. And I know that there are bills in in Montpelier to deal with some of this. Um, but that's where, you know, we really need the legislature to act. There's been a real resistance to do uh, anything that's more heavy handed. They've been going in the other direction. But then that that is democracy, so that's up to all of us. Yeah. Joan, I want to ask you about um, affordability in Burlington. <laughs> we know everybody's acknowledged that the number one issue by far has been public safety slash policing. Uh, but affordability is certainly sneaking up that ladder. And particularly after we've heard that there is a 20%, potentially a 20% increase that Montpelier's identified with spending across the state and a, and a variety of other issues. What's your thoughts on affordability in Burlington and the property tax? Because um, obviously this is something that's really, really jumping out at voters right now. Yeah, affordability is also re- reaching crisis level. The The cost of housing as well as the uh, rapid increase of taxes and particularly property taxes because that is a regressive tax. Um in Burlington, we're, we're looking at about a 14% tax increase for the schools. And then we're asking for a three cent tax increase for the city for, for a public safety tax. And I know that people are really, really struggling with this. I'm worried that, um, this tax may not pass for, I'm worried for both because neither of these taxes really adequately fund either thing you know our school kids are you know are not getting what they need there's a lot of cuts to um services and counseling that the kids need and that's being cut despite the 14 percent increase in the city i know that everyone's number one priority is public safety and yet they're going to see this tax and people are just feeling stretched so thin um but we have, uh, since our last tax increase, we have had like a 17% uh, CPI inflation rate, and we're only asking for a 4% tax increase. And the demand on our services is just going up and up, both the demand on police services and fire services. The, co- the calls to fire have gone up 22% in, in two years. What uh, if you're if you become mayor next Tuesday and you take over uh, on April 1st as the new mayor of Burlington, the first female mayor in the city's history? Uh, what do you, one of the things we know from Mayor Weinberger's last visit was that the cuts that are being proposed, he's suggesting three million dollars in cuts, but we don't know where those are coming from. And he said basically he didn't want to know. He wants to leave that to the new mayor. So 
what to, where is that going to leave you as the new mayor? What how do how do you start that process? In the, well, in the next yeah, budget? I mean, who who wants to to come into that? Um, but uh, we are already starting that process. You know, the mayor has done some work to. Uh, at, at least analyze, you know, what's the budget gra- gap? The budget gap was $9 million, and he's come up with proposals for to bridge $6 million of that $9 million gap. Um, that is also assuming that our revenues continue to grow, and I think that that's a big assumption because a, a lot of our revenue actually isn't coming from the property taxes, but rather it's coming from the hotel taxes, it's coming from our rooms and meals and sales taxes. Um, our rooms and meals goes to uh, the state, but there's a 2% portion that, that goes to the city. Um, these are very meaningful taxes to the city. We have this Great Streets pro- project that is kind of blocking the entrance to our city for three years. And, uh, you know, we do have this um, public order crisis that that needs to be resolved to have a successful business district. So that's the main goal here is to resolve this public order crisis to build our tax base. Um, And we do have a number of projects that that certainly can contribute to building the tax base Uh, and, and make sure that our business community is thriving because if our business community isn't thriving, the taxes that they would be paying then fall to the the residential property taxpayer, or it's more cuts in service that just lead to more problems. Let's go to the phone lines. Good morning. You're live on the morning drive. Good morning, everyone. Um, looking at the uh, revenue side of things, wouldn't it be great if they're going to be digging up Main Street and this and that? Wouldn't it be a great time to look at Memorial Auditorium? I'm not sure how it's zoned, but... A civic center where the Memorial Auditorium stands, and if they're going to demolish it, put a multi-use civic center where we could do the you know the boxing, the uh, basketball for regional contests, etc., and uh, concerts and other special events. But that would be a great revenue source. What do we do with Memorial, Joan? It's been sitting there for a long time, derelict. Um, it's we've really kind of bumped up against our bonding capacity right now, right? So we mm-hmm. can't go to the voters and say, we want to approve another bond. And that's been the challenge. We've been trying to bond to save Memorial since at least the 1990s. And it requires a two-thirds vote of the public. So the bonding threshold is high. Um, and it's failed every time. Uh, we have tried to bond for smaller amounts with a, a public-private partnership, and that has failed. So we're now at a point where we don't have an ability to bond. We don't have... I, I love the idea of a civic center. I think essentially that's that's what it is. It's an old-fashioned civic center um, right now. It's it's where we gather. It's, uh, you know, back in 2011, that's where uh, Moreau had that huge caucus. When we had a caucus, we had a, a huge caucus. There was no place for us to go. We don't have the capacity yeah. in the city to hold the number of people, and that's very sad. But you know, we have to deal with our reality. Um, 
So, you know, we do have uh, local partners who are willing to invest their money in Memorial and willing to work with us to save some of the public use there. And I think that we have to take advantage of this opportunity. And I, uh, when I got on the council, actually, I was the president of Preservation Burlington. And few things are more dear to my heart than Memorial Auditorium. And losing it is just, you know, it's, it's, it's a real loss. But having it the way it is now is just also not sustainable. Um, you know, it, we need to do something. We le- need to look practically at the options that we have and move something forward there. And I think we may, we're hoping we have a good opportunity in the future to do that. Has it pretty much got to be a public-private partnership? Um, it has to be a public-private partnership with a heavy reliance on the private part of that because the city doesn't have the money to, you know, really contribute much to the project. Let's go back to the phone line. Good morning. You're live on the morning drive. Good morning, Joan. Uh, whenever the progressives come on the show, like CD or Emma or Lee Morgan or Greenberg yesterday, they all say public safety is number one. But when they go on to explain it, they're just restating their 2020 era policy. They sort of just rebranded all their, uh, all the bad things they've done. So what, what can you do to make sure they don't hijack the phrase uh, public safety and ruin it in the future? <laughs> I, well, I think that they've chosen a, a different phrase. Maybe, maybe for that reason, I hadn't thought of that, but they, they tend to call it community safety, um, <clears throat> which I'm, I'm all for community safety as well. We all need to be, be safe. Yeah. As they say, I 100% agree with that. I also agree with the idea that we need to diversify our safety response. You know, it is good to have mental health workers that will respond to a mental health call. But we're also told by those mental health workers who respond that they need the backup of the police. You know, we recently had North Champlain Street and North Street shut down um, because of a mental health crisis that started uh, at, on Church Street and then moved into the old North End. And uh, I, I heard some people criticize that the police were involved. Well, the police were involved because it started out with street outreach, trying to deal with somebody becoming increasingly danger to both themselves and others. And the police were brought in. And fortunately, they they took um, after hours, um, they were able to... Um, detain this person actually bring them up to the hospital after shooting them with a with a bean bag and so they were fine they got the, got up to the hospital and got the care that they needed but they needed the police and that's what our mental health care workers working out in the field are telling us back to the phone lines good morning you're live on the morning drive hi good morning um my question is uh, around housing and immigrants um, I recently learned that there, we're having a large influx of immigrants coming to Burlington from the border, and with us being a sanctuary city, um, there is some landlords that are taking them in, and they are um, staying in the housing in large, uh, a large amount of people in one apartment. Um, so I see this continuing to happen in the future, and. I wonder, since we are a sanctuary city, if it starts to get out of control, um, how are you going to handle that? And um, how are we going to sustain that in Burlington, which already has a housing crisis? 
All right, Joan, uh, I remember back to this debate, and I just want to clarify something. Burlington is not technically a sanctuary city. Is that right? That is exactly what I was going to say, Kurt. Uh, you, you and I may have been at the council at the same time. Burlington oh, yeah. is not a sanctuary city. Um, you know, one of the things we talked about at the time is that we're so close to the border that we have regular border I mean, border patrols, I think, 100 miles from the radius of the border. And um, so we we could we couldn't make that claim while we have border patrol in in our city, really. Um, I, my only awareness of that kind of thing happening is that we also have a worker shortage. And I think there are some people we've long had, um, people coming here, maybe not completely legally to work on farms in Vermont. That's been quite common. And with the worker shortage, there probably are some people coming to, to work here. We also have the refugee resettlement program, and we're learning that the Afghan refugees um, who have been here, they're mostly men who came in the first wave, and their families are now eligible to come, and they have very large families. Um, And they will be coming here soon, completely legally. Uh, And they have very large families that are going to be looking for housing. And I will say that the federal programs that are bringing people here really should be more cognizant of how the how able the community is to address the needs of these new families and these these are families who you know these folks worked with the Americans in Afghanistan and kept our soldiers safe in Afghanistan uh they were our partners and we do have an obligation to take care of them we don't really have the tools to do that right now. Joan, as our time is growing very short on, on this segment with you, uh, I want to thank you for being on The Morning Drive and being on so many times over the years. But uh, we've talked about all the issues, and you've talked about all of them in debate after debate. So I want to sort of end this way. How Going back in time a little bit, how, how big a decision was this? How, how tough a decision was this for you to actually decide to run for mayor? I sometimes look at candidates, and I like a candidate who – hasn't dreamed of this for their whole life or for years and years, but, and, and how tough a decision were, were you always going to run or how tough a call was it for you? <laughs> Kurt's <laughs> asking a question. He knows the answer to it well. <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, if you, you want a candidate who hasn't always dreamed of being the mayor, that then you have that candidate, Kurt. Um, <laughs> To me, this is public service, and it was a real soul-searching to figure out, do I have the skills that are needed at this moment in time? And I do think that different things are needed at different times. Um, And the uh, answer I came up with was, um, you know, maybe not 100%, but I think I'm the best option. And uh, there's always... uh, I I always wish I had more skills. Um, I have been on the council for 20 years. I've wrestled with a lot of city problems in those 20 years. I know how to navigate the city. And I have the, the partnerships and relationships, I think, to be successful. But that is also why it's called All Hands on Deck, recognizing that I am going to need the help and support of a lot of people as we navigate this, our challenges together.
And Joan, you sort of just made the case, but could you make the case in about 30 seconds why on Tuesday you think people should vote for you as the next mayor? And also, could you mention the fact that I think you are going to be at the Burlington High School Basketball Championship game tonight? Uh, yes, I believe I will be at the Burlington Basketball game. Um, vote for Monzi. She's been working really hard. And uh, yes, I, I think that my experience and the relationships I've I've created over these years are going to be helpful to Burlington. And I think that the cam- t- campaign team that we've built that has been very inclusive is also going to be helpful in us um, navigating into the future because I am going to be calling on people to continue to help. It's not going to end with the campaign. I I want to have a very inclusive administration. All right, and uh, and of course you got the, re- the the endorsement of all four city unions. I got right? all four city unions. Yes, I did. All four had concerns. You know, city workers are having uh, challenges with public safety every day and across the board, not just the first responders, but people who are working in the library, in the parks department. And there was mention with all of them about public safety concerns and that that being a factor in their endorsement of me. And I'm very proud of those endorsements and thank our unions. All right. Joan Shannon, Democratic candidate for mayor on Tuesday. Joan, best of luck next Tuesday. Thank you very much. And thanks for having me on. Good to see you, Marcus. Great to see you.